Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. This is the last of our listener support slash listener appreciation specials. And we're going to do something that's been popular the last uh, few years. And that is our Twice Told Tale specials where we will play two episodes where the second episode was adapted from the script used in the first episode. We're going to start out today with an episode of The New Adventures of Michael Shane starring Jeff Chandler. Now, as a refresher, The New Adventures of Michael Shane was a 26-week syndicated series, and it's very difficult to determine which episode aired first or when the first air date was, although most of the episodes were probably played in 1947. The title of this one is The Case of the Crooked Wheel. The big gun in his hand turned over and over. He leaned his face close to mine, hissing softly between his teeth. It was a face that held all the evil in the world, the kind that gets up close when somebody's going to die. Suddenly, everything shattered in front of me like a bulb smashed against a rock. I got the last funny flash. Michael Shane, a guy head deep in nothing. The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. Michael Shane, reckless, red-headed Irishman, is back again in his old haunts in New Orleans. This is your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to another transcribed episode, which we call The Case of the Crooked Wheel. Mr. Private Detective? Thanks. I was beginning to wonder whether that one line in Classified was worth the price. I observe, Mr. Detective, a man who has journeyed to a strange land. Observe a traveler who has come a thousand of miles to seek you out. Ernie, you must be tired. Have a chair, traveler. Tell me what's on your mind. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, Mr. Detective... Uh, the name is Shane. Michael Shane. Oh, of course. Mr. Detective Shane, observe before you a man with a despicable habit... A habit I cannot seem to break myself off. Oh, why don't you try Doc Holloway down the hall? He's a psychologist there. You can lie down and talk about your troubles. Please, please. Uh, perhaps I should come to the point, no? Yeah, that'd make things a little easier. Perhaps, uh... Ah, yes. Here. Observe it, if you please. Oh. The Quito Casino, Mexico City, 25 pesos. What's it supposed to tell me? It is money. At the Paquito Casino, which I, Ramon Paquito, am sole and legitimate proprietor. It is worth 25 pesos, uh, like it says. And I, Ramon Paquito, give it to you. Free, gratis, uh, for nothing, no obligations. Yeah, thanks. Now, now, about this habit you've got, how bad is it? Aye, terrible. I give away money, Mr. Detective Shane. Every week at the casino, I give away thousands of pesos. Free, gratis, for nothing, no obligations? Precisely. How can you make a living like that? Well, two days ago I asked myself the same question. 
There is no future in it, so I come to see you. Well, if you want to unload your assets all at once, you've come to the right place. Now, please, Mr. Detective, your, your humor is, is a stranger to me. I uh, want you to save me from myself. What do you want me to do? Come to Mexico City with me. Find out why the Paquito Casino is losing money. Simple, is it not? Well, that's going to cost you a chunk of dough, Mr. Paquito. Twenty dollars a day. That's a hundred pesos. Plain fare and expenses. Don't quibble about bagatelle, Mr. Detective. Now, will you come? Sure. Uh, just one thing, Mr. Paquito. You said you wanted me to save you from yourself. What did you mean? Uh, observe me well, Mr. Detective Shane. Yeah? Uh, do I appear as a person who could uh, cut a man's heart out? No. I, Ramon Paquito, could do it with a smile on my lips. Yes, Mr. Detective Shane, if what I suspect is true, I could, I would whistle a song sentimental while I commit a murder. In just a moment, we'll return to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the Crooked Wheel. The airplane trip across the Gulf gave Senor Ramon Paquito the time he needed to fill in the details. Somebody had a gimmick to beat his roulette wheels. Another couple of weeks of the process, and Ramon would be wearing a serape and huarachas instead of a double-breasted pinstripe. All of which had made him angry enough to want to kill whoever was outsmarting him. We landed late the next afternoon. The senor registered me at the Hotel Blanco, gave me directions how to reach the casino later, and then took off. I decided to give the town a whirl before it was time to punch the clock. The shops on Avenue Nacional were a sight to see, but I couldn't afford much looking. I settled for a Mexican-style backscratcher, then wandered down a side street for local color. It was just when I hit the first block of wooden shacks that two things happened. Suddenly, it wasn't daylight anymore, and suddenly, I wasn't alone. Picturesque, isn't it? Huh? A guy sleeps with a goat and a flock of chickens, and they call it picturesque. I'll bet a big tourist like you gets a bang out of that, huh? Now, look, mister, I... Your name's Shane? No, it's Pancho. Pancho el Diablo. Take him, Hugo, quick. The shadow that separated itself from a lot of other shadows wasn't quite as tall as a gorilla, but it was a yard wider. <laughs> it lurched toward me and spun me around. Punches <laughs> felt like I was trying to bang my way out of a rubber beach ball. And then the thing stopped playing. It hoisted me by the neck off my feet and started to squeeze. A, a bead of light exploded in front of my brain like a billion nickels. And then, then somebody had sense enough to pull down the curtain. first thought was that it's a lousy place to be dead in. Filthy room with a naked electric bulb dangling from the ceiling. Such a pretty man. I tried to focus, but it was too tough getting through the pain. Something was playing tricks with my hair. I curved my eyes backward, and then I knew for sure I'd been killed. There was an angel leaning over me. In time, I'd be able to make out the wings. Such a pretty man. Open your eyes, Chico. There. Oh. <laughs> Feeling better? You're a very lucky man, Mr. Shane. In a few more seconds, your neck would have been broken. Then both of us would have been unhappy. You and I. Yeah. Who are you? Call me anything you like, Chico. Whatever suits you. That's a real dramatic touch, Angel. But who are you? How did I get here? I am Gabby. That's all you need to know. No, I 
I need to know a lot more. Like, how did you get me here? Like, how do you know who I am? Simple, Chico. They carry you up here and went through your pockets. They would have killed you. Except I have a better idea. Like what? Use that return ticket to New Orleans. You can't get a meal in Mexico City like you can at Broussard. Look, Angela, stop playing patty cake. Who are those guys who jumped me? Oh. Then you see them? No, no. It was too dark. All the registered was a guy who talked lazy and a shadow who must have been Charlie Atlas's prize pupil. Well, then you are lucky. You better forget this whole rotten business and go home. Like a good boy. Who said anything about being a good boy? You hardly look in any condition to exert yourself, Chico. Now, come here. I hate you. Yeah. Now that we're practically soulmates, Gabby, start lying to me. Start from the beginning and make it a good story. What are you talking about? Who are you and what's this all about? Go home. Now look, Angel. Go home, Mr. Shane. Go home before they pick you out of the gutter and put you to bed on a slab with a tag around your toe. And she wasn't kidding. Did something frightening to watch that angel face tighten into a lot of hard lines. I knew I couldn't get any answers out of her, so I hopped a cab to where I figured there might be some. The Paquito Casino. Ramon Paquito's sole and legitimate proprietor. He saw me as I came through the door. Ah, Mr. Detective Shane. Hi. But, senor, you look lousy. Yeah, yeah, a couple of transplanted hoodlums felt like playing tag. I was it. Aye, that is very sad. Uh-huh. Well, in any case, you see, I have quite an establishment here, Mr. Detective. It would grieve me if I had to part with it. Yeah. Jose Rojo, number 12 on the red, the red yeah, page. Yeah, quite a layer. Mark, un momento, come here. Pablo will take your place. I want to talk with you, Mark. Somebody special? Uh, Mark Hagen, the best croupier in Mexico. Ah, uh, uh, Mark. This is Mr. Michael Shane, a friend of mine. Uh, show him around, Mark. Show him everything. Why, sure. I'm glad to know you, Mr. Shane. You from the States? New Orleans. I-, I leave you gentlemen now. There is much I must see about. Fine town, New Orleans. Sometimes I get a yen to go back there just to see how fine it really is. Is this joint legitimate, Hagen? Oh, it's as square as a box. 21, you hit 16, hold 17, dice, spin them any way you like, with the house or against, and a couple of roulette wheels. They get? <laughs> Did Paquito tell you to ask me those questions? Uh, there's a nasty rumor going on around that roulette wheels can be rigged against the house. You know, I don't like you, Mr. Shane. I don't know who you are or what you've got on your mind, but I don't play like that. Paquito is my friend. Okay, Hagen, I'm sorry. So I made a mistake. I tried and I was wrong. No hard feelings. Plenty of hard feelings, Mr. Shane. I think I'd like it better back at the table. You can look around by yourself. So I did. As far as I could see, nobody was dealing second cards. The dice didn't shimmy after they hit the backboard. And the roulette wheels were giving the house better than an even break. Then she walked in, Gabby. Angel face in an evening gown that wouldn't quit. All smooth and round and cotton candy blonde hair. She stood in the doorway and looked around the room, then nodded slightly to a guy in a fawn-colored dinner jacket that fitted him like a dream. I walked up to her, watched the frown grow at the corners of her mouth. You fool, get out of here. Oh, ten years ago I had a vision about a woman who looked like you. You don't know what you're doing. There are a lot of women, Gabby, a lot of kinds of women. I don't know whether I like that or not. You don't scare easily, do you, Mr. Shane? Not very. Should I be scared? Suit yourself. It's your life. Yeah, and I expect to take it back with me. To coin a phrase, Mr. Shane, I make book on that. And I'll coin one right back at you, Angel. Five will get you ten. Hasta mañana, Redhead. Only for you, tomorrow won't happen. 
I watched her sway the path through the ankle-deep rug to the blackjack table. She bought some chips and busied herself with the game. I took a stand at the roulette wheel next to the fawn-colored jacket and watched. Just watched. There was something to see. Men and women expensively dressed with that same look of fascination you see around a cockfight in back of a barn. Cinco Negro, number five on the black. Oh, I'm sorry, senor. You huh? placed your money after the ball had settled. The house cannot accept your bet. What are you talking about? I had that hundred peso bill down before you started to spin. I'm sorry, senor, but that is not so. Hey, what kind of a two-bed joint is this, anyway? Sure, I had my money down. These people will tell you. The house insists you take back your money, senor. There is no question about the honesty of this casino. Look, now pay me, brother, for I take this dive apart. You first. Is trouble, Mark? Yes, this gentleman, he placed a bet after the wheel had started. He's talking through his hat, mister. Give me my dough. Your hundred pesos, senor. The bill you laid down on the table. Now, if you please, get out. And he did, too quickly. The big guy folded the bill carefully, winked, grinned, and got out. In another second, I knew the reason why. Fawn-colored jacket was shoveling in a stack of chips from the number five square. All according to house rules, except he hadn't bet any chips on the number in the first place. I ducked out of the casino just in time to see the big guy disappear around the corner. I raced down the walk, but he was nowhere in sight. Then, like it says in the correspondence school lessons, I knelt down to look for footprints in the soft grass. <laughs> You're looking for me, Shane. Should I be? Shane is a detective. You're a phony. You couldn't detect foul play if you came across a corpse in the trunk. Oh, but good enough to figure out that pitch you pulled back there in the casino. Give me a reading, Shane. What did I do? You and the little man in the dinner jacket. You threw down a hundred peso note with a blue chip underneath it. You get thrown out, dinner jacket collects 35 to 1. <laughs> You're a pigeon, boy. You followed me just like it was figured you would. Can't you talk without that gun in your hand? Uh-uh. It's good for shooting pigeons. Right now, you. Oh, wait a minute. No more minutes, Shane. You got no more time. Bite your lip or say a prayer or just close your eyes and take it. It's all yours, boy. Now hold on to it. Big gun in his hand turned over and over. He leaned his face close to mine, hissing softly between his teeth. It was a face that held all the evil in the world, the kind that gets up close when somebody's going to die. Suddenly, everything shattered in front of me like a bulb smashed against a rock. I got the last funny flash. Michael Shane, a guy head deep in nothing. In just a moment, we'll return to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the Crooked Wheel. There are some guys in this world crazy enough to leave their happy home just for the opportunity of getting choked by a gorilla and getting shot by a man who has fun watching people fold up under the impact of a slug. Guys like me, all for 20 bucks a day in expenses. And it started out as a simple noggin job, trying to ferret out who was beating Senor Ramon Paquito's roulette wheels at his casino in Mexico City. Only somebody was having a personal fiesta having me bounced around. As a result, I was catching the habit of waking up in strange rooms after each current beating. This time, I fought my way through the numbness in my right shoulder long enough to squint out of what was around me. There were several things. Daylight, four walls, a roulette wheel on a round table, and a guy I'd seen once before who I figured didn't ever want to see me again. Mark Hagen, Senor Paquito's number one croupier. Take it easy, Shane. You better not try to move for a while. Hey. Didn't know you cared, Hagen. I brought you to my room. It seemed like the only decent thing to do. Where'd you find me? I followed you. 
I was afraid I was a little too late. I apologize for that. Well, what made you come after me? That gag they pulled with the palm chip is the oldest dodge in roulette. I had an idea you were a right guy after you went after that big fellow. I had an idea I could be of some help. Did you see those guys before? The big one and the skinny lad he worked with? They've been around. The fellow you followed is called Hugo. The other one's named Drew. I didn't know they knew each other. Yeah, I should have been more careful. That guy Hugo has a sense of humor that could kill you. Now don't worry about it anymore. I removed the bullet. You, you removed the bullet? It's an old hobby of mine, taking bullets out of people. I made a living at it 15 years ago. I was a specialist until the law got interested. You were a doc? <laughs> class of 28 Midwestern, class of 35 Danamora. License revoked for uh, malpractice. Profile of Mark Hagen, bum. So you drifted down here and went to work for Paquito? Well, it's a living, Shane. Being a croupier has its points. Nobody asks questions. It gives you a chance to use your hands, doesn't it? Uh, yes. What made you ask that? A roulette wheel on the table. Did you get enough practice at the casino? <laughs> Sometimes, my friend, it's an indiscretion to inquire into motives. Look, I'll, uh, I'll tell you something, Hagen. It could be a wild, wild dream, but I'll tell you about it anyhow. Yeah. About you, maybe. About a croupier clever enough to spin a wheel in such a way that the ball drops in any slot he wants. Oh, you're out of your mind, Shane. Maybe, but I don't think so. It's been done before. I, I can't give the place and date, but it's been done. As I remember it, the croupier was a frustrated violinist. He had no talent for the violin, but he could make that wheel whistle Dixie. Just like you. Go on. Yeah, an ex-surgeon could get the same idea. A man who could do things with his hands, intricate things. What other reason for the roulette wheel on that table over there? Practice. Uh, what are you going to do about it? I could tell Paquito. That's what he hired me for. If you did that, I'd kill you. Yeah, maybe you would at that. Well, that's a promise, Shane. Okay, Hagen. Mark, I... Oh! Say no more, Hagen. Come on in, Gabby. Close the door. Congratulations, Mr. Shane. Oh, you two know each other? Sure. Yesterday, your lady love was making book, I'd be washed up on the beach. I see you almost made it, the redhead. What stopped you? Say, what is this? Hagen, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to give you some advice. What makes you think Mark needs your advice? Get rid of her, Hagen. She's no good for you. She's no good for anybody. Don't listen to him, Mark. Uh, go ahead. Sure. Now, see if you can follow me. I come to Mexico City and immediately get beat up by two thugs. I wake up in Gabby's room. She claims that if it wasn't for her, they would have killed me. He's lying. I met him at the casino. Now, understand, Hagen, I'm a stranger here. The only reason anyone would want me out of the way is because I could have been hired to queer his act. Okay so far? Yes, it makes sense. So it follows that Gabby had made some sort of play with these thugs. Maybe something you don't know about. Throw him out, Mark. Everything he says is a lie. You're being very impolite, my dear. Uh, the way it looks from here, Hagen, is a little Gabby has you framed for a fall guy. From here, that's the only way I see it. You're Shut up. You... Now you sit down. You sit down and shut up. I'm getting out of here. I don't want any part of you, Hagen. You are your... You're staying, dear. I can't afford to let you out of my sight. Mr. Shane might be having a wild dream, as he said, but I can't take the chance. Now sit down. <laughs> I left the happy couple and walked out into the midday Mexican sunshine. Things were beginning to add up. The guy who nearly broke my neck and the man with the gun were the same. That was Hugo. 
I heard the name before I passed out the first time. And it was an even bet that the lazy talker and the dapper gent named Drew were identical. But for a one-armed detective without a license to carry a gun in Mexico, there wasn't much I could do about either one of them. Well, it was time to go back and resign my job. I couldn't put the finger on Hagen anyhow. So I caught a cab to the Paquito Casino, walked into the senor's private office. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Each time I see you, Mr. Detective, you look worse. Perhaps this climate doesn't agree with you. As a matter of fact, Senor Paquito, the time has come to bid a reluctant farewell to the land of Montezuma. Mr. Detective, observe before you a person who is deeply puzzled. Yeah? A few minutes ago, I received a call by telephone from Mark Hagen. He is leaving my employ. Yeah, when? Tonight. Tonight, he will be coupier for the last time at the Paquito Casino. I don't understand why. You tell me why, Mr. Detective. Uh, your guess is as good as mine. Maybe the climate doesn't agree with him either. I, this I doubt. Mr. Detective, you have observed, Senor Hagen. What is your impression as to his integrity? Like I said, your guess is as good as mine. It isn't up to me to guess anyhow. You can mail me what you owe me to New Orleans. I'm quitting, Senor. Yes, but why? Every time somebody tries to knock me off, they come a little bit closer. Now, hasta whatever it is to Oh, you. wait, wait. Look, just this evening... Remain here at the casino. This I ask you as a favor personal to, to Ramon Paquito. I even say please, listen. Please. Well, I don't know, senora. I don't know what good I can be to you. Well, perhaps no good at all. You just stay here. Observe. That is all I ask you to do. For this, double wages, double expenses. Well... Very well, triple. Sunday night, triple play. Agreed? Agreed, senor. I will observe. Another hour, the joint began to fill up. And a few minutes after that, Gabby walked into the room, still looking like an angel, the way some women who are devils do. She strolled over to the roulette table where Hagen was raking him in. He put a stack on the red. There wasn't a sign of recognition between Hagen and the girl. Siete, rojo, seven pays, red pays, number seven on the red. Place your bets for the next spin. No bets can be made after the wheel starts. On the next spin, the girl won again. Then she lost. Soon she began to double her bets and kept winning more times than she didn't. When she started to play individual numbers, she made the law of averages look like something that hadn't passed Congress yet. Just before she bet number four, I watched Hagen fold his thumb under his palm and rub the side of his face with the rest of his hand. Cuatro negro, four pays, black pays, number four on the black. <laughs> the young lady seems to be lucky this evening. I've been observing you. Why not this evening, Senor Paquito? I am always lucky at your table. Yes, I have observed that too. Mark, Mark, stop the wheel. I wish to see just how lucky this young lady is. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you will pick up your bets. If you care to play there at the other tables, please, this wheel shall be used exclusive to test the young lady's uh, luck. But, senor, It is your intention to break the bank, is it not so? Spin the wheel, Mark. It was simple enough to figure out. The two of them, Hagen and Gabby, were making their one final grab at a whole lot of money. Whatever his friendship for Paquito might have been, Hagen was forgetting all about it. The girl and the doe. And he had a foolproof gimmick to do it. In another hour, there were roughly a hundred thousand pesos stacked in front of the girl. If the young lady doesn't mind, there's a gentleman who wishes to join her. It was the dapper lad in the dinner jacket. The guy named Drew. Gabby stiffened when she saw him. I don't know. This is my last spin. Well, now, that's too bad, ma'am. I had the idea I could ride along on your streak. I'd be very disappointed, ma'am. But I thought, Senor Paquito... It's that... quite all right, young lady. 
The gentleman informs me he wishes to make his wager in the identical sum and number as you do. It's just like the senor says, ma'am, one spent any amount. I guess I can take a chance. You'd do it, all right? Very well. All of it. I bet the whole amount on number one. Good, that's fine, ma'am. Number one it is. Hundred thousand pesos, riding right along with you. Spin the wheel, mister. It was a sight to see. The girl, a knuckle clamp between her teeth. Paquita with a tight little smile and Drew staring. That's all, just staring down at the table. The only one who moved was Hagen. His right hand slid across his chest to the inside of his coat. Press Rojo number three, please. Why, you double-crossed... The flash from Drew's gun lit on a flying steel blade. Hagen spun across the room, hammered back by the bullets that tore through his chest. Drew stopped shooting and tried to speak... His words stuck on the knife blade in his throat. They almost fell into each other's arms. I turned just fast enough to see the girl disappear through the side entrance, and I went after her. Outside, there was nothing. I, I hailed a cab and gave him directions to the only place I knew where to look, Gabby's room. I took the wooden stairs three at a time, down the hall to the door marked number six. But he's through, girl. That's just the way it happened. Oh. Well, come in. Come in, boy. Looks like we're the only ones left. Huh? Yeah. Everything you have a part of dies, doesn't it, Hugo? <laughs> Too true, boy. It looks like I'm batting 1,000 today. Hugo, no. Hugo, put that gun away. <laughs> no more killing, Hugo. No more, no. In a moment, we'll be back with a thrilling climax to tonight's Michael Shane adventure. I watched the smoke curl up from the snout of Gabby's revolver, mix with her yellow hair, and then float up to the ceiling. She stared at Hugo's crumpled body, let the gun drop from her limp fingers. I picked it up. Then she stared at me. Aren't you going to thank me for saving your life? Sure, thanks. You killed Hugo to save your own beautiful skin. You are mixed up, Redhead. You killed him because you knew he'd never believe your story about what happened at the casino. He didn't have enough time. Hugo enjoyed killing too much himself, especially people he thought crossed him. What are you talking about? You had a good pitch with Hagen. He could put that ball in any number or color you bet on, but that wasn't enough for you. Hot. Doesn't matter now, Redhead. You thought you could double your profits by throwing in with Hugo and Drew. Yeah, maybe you were going to double-cross them, too. I don't know. There's still plenty enough for both of us. Take your choice, Angel. The police or Paquito? We go away together, you and I, tonight. There's a plane out of here in half hour. We can make it. We're good for each other, Redhead. Listen. Listen to me. There's still plenty. Yours and mine. Listen to me. Hello, operator. Listen to me. Give me the police. This is your director, Bill Russo, again. Our story is based on characters created by Brett Halliday. The New Adventures of Michael Shane is a Don W. Sharp production, transcribed in Hollywood and distributed exclusively by the Broadcasters Guild.
Welcome back. A couple of things to say for this episode. First of all, uh, you get to hear Frank Lovejoy in a supporting role. And that's one thing for a lot of the middle 1940s uh, syndicated programs, whether it was Fox 13 or Michael Shane or some other series, is there was a lot of up-and-coming talent that would become big names later on in the 40s and even into the early 50s who were available. And obviously, Frank Lovejoy is a great uh, talent here. One thing I did notice and appreciated in this particular episode is when Shane gets knocked out when going into town, that they didn't have him immediately come to. And the music, uh, particularly the music when he was out, I think really kind of built the mood and almost made you feel, you know, the feeling of being knocked out. I guess that's an odd compliment, you know, music to be concussed to, but I think what we heard certainly qualified. Now, the reason we're playing this episode is that I read that the first episode of Gunsmoke, pilot episode, somewhat infamous pilot episode from 1949, was actually adapted by David Freakin and Mort Fine from the Michael Shane episode we just heard. So we're going to go ahead now and listen to the first episode of Gunsmoke, Mark Dillon Goes to Gaujai. Uh, this pilot uh, audition date was June 11th, 1949, and the title is Mark Dillon Goes to Gaujai. story of the violence that moved westward with young America. The story of one man who moved with it, Mark Dillon, United States Marshal. Oh, a man there lived on the western plains with a ton of fight and an ounce of brain. Who herds the cows as he robs the train goes by the name of Cowboy. He was part of it. A singing saddle bum, a cowboy, a drifter. They all drifted here to Dodge City one time or another. It's the end of the track and the start of the wilderness. A dumping ground of odds and ends, beginnings and leftovers. The place to stop and take the kind of pleasure you need. The place to pass through. Sometimes it's a place to die. My part of it was a sun-charged shack rent paid by the United States government and a marshal's badge furnished free. I was at the window watching the heat plump itself with Kansas dust and roll in towards the town when the door opened. Your name, Dillon? You're the United States Marshal? She was about 50. Hat, poke bonnet, dress, gingham, shoes, beaded Indian moccasins. I heard about you in Gautai. said there was a steady marshal here. Been living for six months running. Well, they've been lying to you, former. They say you can break a man's heart at 50 yards. They say you and your guns already done that. What's on your mind? I should just saddle up and get down to Gaujai. Why? My husband. 
Husband owns the white buffalo. Roulette music drinks. They say the roulette wheel's crooked. Look, ma'am, half the roulette wheels in the West are probably crooked. Maybe. But in Galjai, they kill a man for running a crooked wheel. Well, look, ma'am, I Abigail don't... Abigail Contrarius, that's my name. Yeah. Well, Mrs. Contrarius, you don't need a marshal. You need an honest husband. That wheel's no more crooked than you are. He's wise from all I hear about you. If it was, I wouldn't take none of the money's won from it. Oh, sure. Don't sore me, Marshal. The money don't just mean money to me. It means books for Indian kids and writing stuff, slates and all. Oh, missionary. Huh, me? With a gambler and a philanderer and a toper for a husband? I teach Indian kids, that's all. Teach them to behave and a little learning, that's all. That's good work, ma'am. These towns could use more people like you. Never mind that. If I don't get help, those kids will go back to their wild ways and I'll have a dead husband. You coming? Do I have to ride that mule some more? Ride it back to Galgen. I'll be alone. Make it soon, Marshal. There'll be a convulsion down there if you don't. It was night when the town of Gaujai came out of the wilderness and beckoned to me like a painted skinny hag. If Dodge City had a tougher sister, this was it. I rode up to the white buffalo and started to tie my horse to a hitching post whittled to the shape of a pawnee girl when... Suddenly, the gun in my back told me I wasn't alone. You won't like it here, Marshal. Pretty as it is, you won't like it. No? No, indeed. Don't turn around, Marshal. I'm shy and I'm modest and I embarrass easy. Isn't that so, Harold? <laughs> you see, Harold thinks it's so. Harold had his tongue clipped. Apaches. Maybe it was too long. Oh, now, that's not a genteel thing to say to Harold, Marshal. He takes offense. I'm new here. Back in Dodge City, the etiquette's a little more formal. Then go back to Dodge. We're very happy here in Gaujai, like little birds. You could spoil it. I was invited. Special invitation. Well, the party's over. Now, Harold. Now! Something lashed out across my skull. A bead of glass splintered my brain. From far, far away, I heard some words. I wanted to kill him, but I couldn't. I didn't know who he was. I hadn't seen his face. But I knew I'd never forget that voice and that crazy giggle. When I opened my eyes, I was in Gaujai's dirt. I picked myself up and waited till the town stopped its dizzy dance. On its third time round, I spotted a horse trough. I stuck my head in it to get rid of the blood on my face. I finally pushed my bones to the swinging doors of the white buffalo. It was the usual kind of place, like Mrs. Contrarius said. Roulette, music, drinks. I got halfway across the floor toward the bar, then I saw her and heard her. Slender, hair molded black, and something profane and exquisite distilled into her features. She looked at me, and when she spoke, it was as if she hadn't quit singing. Buenas noches, chica. Oh, a marshal. A marshal with a new scar and a muddy badge. <laughs> you buy a drink, huh, chico? Here's a buck. Buy yourself an egg. Where can I find the owner? Over there by the poker table. The goatee and pompadour. Thanks. Hasta la vista, Yeah, but he's singing you. Your name, Contuarius? See. Si. Oh, the marshal from Dodge City. 
Oh, you have the look of a large headache, senor. Yeah, someone else besides you and your wife was expecting you. Oh, muy mal, bad. It wasn't good. Oh, I see. But I am glad you have come, senor Marco. Look around. You see my place? The white buffalo, sole proprietor and owner, me, Rafael Ramon Jose Contuarias. Magnificent establishment, no? Mm-hmm. Looks like your magnificent establishment takes plenty. For weeks now, I am losing money on the roulette wheel. Still, people say it is crooked. Oh? Someone is swindling me, senor. This someone I swear I will kill, dead, unless you find him for me first. That is why my wife comes to you, asks you to come to Galja. She had a little difference. She's afraid this someone might kill you first. Oh, oh. That might happen, but not so long as he can swindle me. Why kill the chicken with the golden egg, senor? Mm -hmm. Well, let's have a look at this wheel of yours. Ah, si. Follow me. Well, Red, number Who's your spinner? Greg Hagen, base croupier in the territory. Uh huh. Suppose you let me look around myself. As you wish, senor. You find that someone who is swindling my wheels. I'll give it a try, Mr. Contralius. Bueno. Contralius left me alone. I watched the table for a while. Nothing happened. Wheel didn't look crooked. If it was being swindled, it was done clever. Finally, I moved around near the croupier. Hagen. Yeah? See you a minute. What for? Oh, Marshal. Yeah. Bill, take over for a minute. Okay, Marshal. What can I do for you? This joint legitimate? Why ask me, Quantuarius? I know, sole proprietor and owner. Rumor has it the wheel's rigged, is it? Suppose it is. Well, then, I could win. You could win, too. Maybe 25% of what I win, and Quantuarius wouldn't know. Keep talking. We both got to live 50%. Now get this. Quantuarius is my friend. Sorry, I made a mistake. No hard feelings. Plenty hard feelings. I think I like it better back at the table. Look around yourself. Make up your own mind about the wheel. So I did. Mostly I hung around the roulette table. As far as I could see, the wheel was given the house and the customers an even break. Just about the time I started to walk away, two new players came up to the crowded table. One pasty face, handsome, and a weak chin sort of way. The other, a big, silent hulk of a man with a drooping lower lip. They didn't seem to be together or even know each other. On the next spin, the ball fell into 29. Bounced out, rolled around 13. Finally, settled in double O. Just as it did, Pastyface reached out and put a hundred-dollar bill on double O. Greg Hagen, the croupier, looked up and spoke soft but fast. Sorry, mister, you placed your bet after the ball settled. The house can't accept it. I had that hundred dollars down before you started to spin. Pay me off. Sorry, mister, the house says you take back your money. Don't worry. Pay me, brother, before I make brush out of this joint, and you first. Any trouble, Greg? Yeah, this man placed a bet after the ball dropped. Ah, he's crazy. I had to bet down at plenty of time. So sorry, senor. The croupier is always right. Take your bill from the table. And if you please, get out. He did. Fast. Too fast. As he went, I started to remember his voice. I'd heard it before. With the voice behind my back when I first hit town. And all of a sudden it made sense, and I knew I'd found out one way the Spaniard was getting rooked. Pasty face on the Hulk for a team. 
When Pasty Face picked up the bill, there was a blue chip under it, a double O, and the house paid off to the Hulk. All according to Hoyle, except for one thing. The Hulk hadn't placed any bets. It was a good stunt. There had to be more to it than that, so I gave Contuarius a nod and followed Pasty Face as he left. I got out of the casino just in time to see him disappear around the corner. I took it easy. Polite and easy. And a bullet nubbed the dust at my feet. I ducked into the shadows and whipped out my guns. A flash had come from a narrow passageway between two buildings. I'm in this alley, Marshal. Come on in and get me. Wait right there, kid. I'm waiting. It was in there somewhere. In that long slab of night that was too black to see through. Somewhere in there. I put my back against the wall and slid in. Strike a match. I want to see your face when it happens to you. Try me. <laughs> no, Marshal. You shoot first. You'll miss. You know that, Marshal. But I won't. Because your gun flash will tell me where you are. Real clever. And that was clever what you did back at the White Buffalo. Honest, Injun? Now tell me about it. You and your friend. That was Harold, huh? A giggler with a talent for pistol whipping. Tell me some more about it. You throw down a hundred dollar bill with a blue chip underneath it after the ball drops. You get yourself thrown out. Harold collects 35 to 1. Did Harold do that? Oh, Harold. Did you do that? <laughs> and there he was, framed in the entrance of the alley. I was caught between them, pasty face and the mute called Harold. The big guns in Harold's hands turned over and over. His face held all the evil in the world. You're all right, Harold. Take him! <laughs> He was shooting waist-high along the wall. And he was getting close. There was only one thing to do. And I couldn't miss. You got Harold, Marshal, but you made a mistake. Your gun flash gave you away. Open my eyes, I was in a place I'd never been before. Kind of cottonwood clearing. I eased the wound in my shoulder, and from across a smoldering campfire, I saw her. The girl from the white buffalo. A morning sun lighted up the features of a man at her feet. It was Senor Rafael Ramon Jose Contuanos. And the bullet hole in the middle of his forehead gave him an extra flush. Now it was Senor Rafael Ramon Jose Contuarius de Cis, and the pretty Senorita was singing a love song. Back to Gunsmoke in just a moment. Combining modern detective methods with secrets of the mysterious East, the Green Llama offers CBS listeners a new thrill now on Sundays. Once he has heard of a crime or an injustice, Jethro Dumont, a wealthy young American just returned from ten years in Tibet, brings into play his quick wit and knowledge of illusion to thwart the evildoers. Join him Sunday as he continues his fight against crime on this side of the Pacific, wearing green, the color of Tibetan justice, aided by Tulku, his trusted lieutenant. The Green Llama is a feature presentation of most of these same CBS stations. 
Now back to Mark Dillon, United States Marshal, and Gunsmoke. Without dreams. How do you know there were no dreams? Because I saw death to be a little piece of things, and then right away on a black phone. Yeah, I'm lucky. Who are you? How'd you get here? They call me Tomas. I brought you here. The wagon over there in the burrow. You are more lucky, Chico. The bullet was for your heart, but it sent itself in your shoulder. It was not your time to die. But it was Contrarius' time, hmm? Perhaps his grave has been empty too long. You knew him well? See, si. I knew him. Well enough to kill him. I did not kill him. Senor Contrarius was my protector. What did he protect you from? Himself? I like your mouth better when it is gentle, Chico. And who did kill him? <laughs> How would I know? He was there like that when we arrived. Why'd you bring me here? I like you, Chico. That's why I tell you. If you leave, go back to Dodge City. If you die, die in Dodge City. It is not good here for either one. Why didn't Pasty Face finish the job? Not after you were wounded, I came in. I, I persuaded him you were dead. He persuades easy, huh? He persuades easy. For tomorrow. The shots were heard. People came. Senor Drew does not like attention. Drew? No, oh, his name's Drew. But why here? What'd you bring me here for? I thought Contrarius could help you. After all, he was your friend. How'd you know that? I saw you talking together in the white buffalo. But the night, out of the darkness, death found Contrarius. Contrarius! Contrarius! Where is he? Where is he? Answer me, woman, or I'll horsewhip you within an inch of your life. There, senora. Hello, Marshal. Enjoying yourself? Get up, Contrarius. Get up. He's dead, man. You shouldn't be lying there on the cold ground. Lifting him into the cart. I will help you, senora. If you so much as touch him, I'll kill you. Come along. Contrarius. Give me that blanket, Marshal. You won't need it. Sure. Here, ma'am. You're pretty strong to lift him by yourself. I've done it before. You're hurt, Marshal. I'll be all right. You can come too if you want to, Marshal. I'll take you back to town. Yes, ma'am. I didn't think she'd make it, but she did. Somewhere on that long wagon ride back to town, she squeezed a tear onto her cheek. Just one tear, but for Mrs. Contuarius, it was a major emotion. The sun was doing its best to char the wood frame buildings when we hit Gouja. All right, Marshal. Get out of the wagon. Why bring me back to Gouja? Just so I could pick my own gutter? That door. Check door right over there. Try it. Get up. Well, come on, Dylan. All you have to do is lift your arm and knock on the door. Yeah. Well, Marshal, 
What's the offer this time? A hundred and fifty percent? Hey, you're hurt. Come on in. Thanks. Who sent you here? Mrs. Contuarius. Oh. I'd better cut away that shirt. Why'd she send me here, Greg? Not neat, Marshal. Not neat at all. Why here, Greg? You a duck? Lie still. I'll get some things. You haven't answered my question. I do things with my hands, Marshal. Spin the left wheels and extract bullets between spins. You a duck? Yeah, I'm a duck. Was. Had a shingle. Shiny one. And they said I couldn't have it anymore. They had a word for it. Malpractice. They said I did something... What are you looking at? That roulette wheel on the table over there. What's the matter, Greg? Don't you get enough practice at the white buffalo? You want this wound fixed or not? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Say, Greg. Yeah? I once heard about a croupier clever enough to spin a wheel and drop a ball into any slot he wanted. Hit it about once out of five times. Not bad. Once in four is better. What about him? I could mention it to Mrs. Contuarius. Round up you and Drew and go back to Dodge City. Drew? Pasty face guy. The guy who pulled the fast trick with the chip and the hundred dollar bill last night. I didn't know. I refused the bet, didn't I? Yeah, that's what doesn't fit. I'd stop worrying about it if I were you, Marshal. I could keep this wound open and let it bleed. On the other hand, you could take the bullet out. Yeah, I could do that. And I'd owe you something. I wouldn't have to remember you there, Mrs. Contuarius. Like this, Marshal. First, I just wanted to tame the wheel. Then it got out of hand. Tamar have anything to do with it getting out of hand? What do you know about... I'm ready to take the bullet out, Marshal. You're going to keep what you know to yourself? Take the bullet out. I'll bite my lip. Yeah. Do that, Marshal. It's a nice pose. I bit my lip, but all I got was pain in my mouth. I didn't need that. There was enough pain. It was a pain that was painted in red, and it couldn't decide whether it was a flame or an icicle. When I woke up, Greg was talking to someone. It didn't take long to recognize the voice. You should have let him die, Chico. You will only cause trouble. He's got nothing on me. Only trouble I got is you. Every man in town. You couldn't even leave the marshal alone. Calamia, you're crazy. I found the marshal in the cottonwood clearing, like I told you. He was there when I came. Yeah. Keeping your little rendezvous with Contuarius. I warned you, Tamar. I told you if I ever caught you with Contuarius again, I'd kill him, and I did. I'm sorry I heard you say that, Greg. Don't be sorry. Just leave town. I could have let you die, Marshal. I'm going to take you, Greg. But first, I'm going to give you some advice. Yeah? Get rid of Tamar. One of her stories is bad. Either the one she told you or the one she told me. Don't listen to him, Chico. She told me she brought me to the cottonwood clearing and persuaded Drew that I was dead. If that's true, then it follows that Drew's cutting your time the same as Contuarius was. You can't kill everybody Tamar takes up with. The marshal talking through his wound, Tamar? He's delirious. He's lying, Greg. I found him in the clearing, as I told you. Well, Greg, what do you believe? Me or Tamar? Get out, Marshal. Get out and leave town. Can't, Greg. Not yet. Gotta take you. Also, there's a personal matter to attend to. I could have let you die, Marshal. Remember? Yeah. 
I'll testify at your trial. Kill him, Greg. Kill him now. Shut up. You know, Tamar, you've got too many friends. It's a lie. Everything he says is a lie. Maybe. We'll stay one more night in Galjai. Just one more night. That's all we'll need. No good, Greg. I'll have to take you. With your shooting arm in a sling? I don't think so. I'll gamble on it, Greg. Want odds? I got up and left Greg's shack. He didn't try to stop me. One thing about Greg, he wasn't afraid of me or anybody else. I went back to the white buffalo and waited. About an hour later, Mrs. Contuarius drove up. She was wearing black. She'd just come from her husband's funeral. Send me your good arm, Marshal. I don't want to rip this dress. Yes, ma'am. Here you are. Was it a nice funeral, ma'am? Yes, Marshal. The kids behaved real nice. You've done a good job on them, ma'am. Thanks. Come in and have a drink, Marshal. You look peaked. I followed her into the casino. In an hour, I began to fill up. I hid myself behind the stairs where I had a clear view of the roulette table and waited. About eight, Tamar walked through the door. Tamar in a dress of red. Tamar buckled with silver. She strolled over to the table and put some chips on the black as Greg spun. There was no sign of recognition between them. Seven black. Seven pays. Black pays. Place your bets. On the next spin, Tamar won again. Then she lost. She doubled her bets and won more times than she lost. After a while, she stopped playing colors and switched to single numbers. Thirty-five to one. She kept on winning. But one out of four, like Greg said. In an hour, there was roughly $20,000 stacked in front of her. Just before she bet number 13, I saw Greg fold his thumb under his palm and rub the side of his face. Thirteen black. Thirteen pays. Black pays. Lucky. You're very lucky tonight, Tamar. Tonight, senora? <laughs> but I'm always lucky at your tables, no? Not as lucky as tonight. Sorry, man, this is a private table from now on. You can all move to the second wheel right over there. Private table, senora? Yes. Just you and this gentleman. A man Abigail thumbed at over her shoulder was Mr. Drew in person. I put my good hand on my gun and prepared to finish my unfinished business. And I decided to wait for the piece to play itself out. I didn't know what Mrs. Contuarius had in mind, but this show was too good to spoil. Tamar, Greg, and Drew. I don't know. This is my last spin. That's all right, Tamar. All Mr. Drew wants is just one spin. Right, Mr. Drew? Yeah, just one spin with the little lady. But I... Mr. Drew, huh? Yeah. But I do not feel like betting. We'll spin once more. Bueno. All of my chips on number one. Hmm. Number one, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good number. Number one. I'll take 10,000 in gold on number one. Three red. Three pays. Red pays. Why, you double... No! No! Greg didn't have a chance. The knife he tried to draw was hammered back by the bullets that tore through his hand and across his chest... 
Suddenly his face changed. He looked young and hurt, and ashamed of the blood that he couldn't hold back. It'll make me happy if no one tries to follow us. Let's go, Tamar. He held his guns like they were dogs on a leash that could snap easy. He waited for Tamar to scoop up the money. Then they backed out of the casino. You let him get away, Marshal! I don't think so, ma'am. He knows I'll come and get him. He'll be waiting for me. He'll be wanting to finish me off if he can. And I'm going to give him his chance. I figured there was only one place to look. And there they were. Resting easy in the cottonwood clearing. <laughs> I knew you'd have to come after me, Marshal. <laughs> You're funnier than an actor. I saw one once in Dodge. <laughs> You're funnier. <laughs> Maybe you laugh too easy, Drew. Like you kill too easy. <laughs> a marshal with a gun arm and a sling chasing a killer. <laughs> Go away, Marshal. Go away while there's still time. I got nothing but time. I'll wait. You're wrong, Marshal. You've got no time at all. Yeah? <laughs> Chico. Chico. This I do not believe. It is impossible that someone could shoot faster than Senor Drew. Or with your left hand. Oh, Chico, you are so very quick with your gun. I like that about a man. Take it easy, Tamar. Come on. Let's go. Go? Not now, Marsha. There's time. Sit here. Sit here next to Tamar. Like this? Hmm. See. You know what I think? Chief, I don't talk now. I think he had a great thing with Greg. He could put that ball on any number you bet on. Only that wasn't enough for you. But it doesn't matter now, darling. You thought you could double your profits by throwing in with Drew. Maybe you were going to double-cross him, too. I don't know. Don't worry about it, Chico. The money is yours, too. It belongs to Mrs. Contuarius. That's who's going to get it. What? What are you talking about? Take your choice. Come back with me to the jail in Gaujai or... I'll turn you over to Mrs. Contrarius. I don't think she could stand having you alive. You! Come on. This is the first time I've ever held a gun on a woman. Chico, surely, surely you are playing with me. You're an accessory to murder, Tamar. We go away together. You and I, Mako, New Orleans. Listen to me, Chico. You and I. Let's go, Tamar. Listen, listen to me. There's plenty of money, yours and mine. Listen to me. Put her arms around my neck and her lips close to my ear. And for a long time, for a long, long time, first in English, and in Spanish, then in Cherokee, then in a language I couldn't recognize, she whispered at me every foul name in the book. She was talented. She didn't repeat herself once. Tamar didn't understand that a marshal had a job to do and that the job got done. <laughs> On the way back to Dodge, I came across a cottonwood clearing I'd never noticed before. I rode down into it. A small animal scurried off a log and lost itself in the shadows. And I was alone. And for a time after that, for a long time after that, I thought about Tamar. He'd given her her guitar, but I knew she wouldn't be singing much longer. 
rest of the way home, the country was dust. Got inside of my mouth. It stayed there. Welcome back. Uh, there can be some criticism leveled at this episode. Certainly, I'm going to do some of that, but I do have to praise a couple of things. Usually, when we do this sort of special, we find a lot of scenes word for word, and sometimes even copied from one location to another where it doesn't make sense. Even when we did a Voyage of the Scarlet Queen episode that was adapted to Johnny Dollar, there were relatively few changes. Here it feels like uh, Mort Fine and David Friedkin used a lot of the plot details from their Michael Shane script and do some heavy rewriting to try and make it work better for uh, a Western format. I think the idea of having the wife be the one who came to Dylan was a good idea. However, there are some things that I think work for a hard-boiled detective that don't really work well if you're writing an Old West uh, Marshal. The idea that you're going to beat up a U.S. Marshal and take even the slightest chance that he might go free is absurd. The murder that the croupier perpetrated also creates all sorts of plot problems. Marshall Dillon at that point really can't consider leaving, and also having uh, a murder committed creates all sorts of plot problems. Getting with the marshal saying to the croupier, you know, I just overheard you admitting being a murderer. You really need to dump your girlfriend before you do something stupid. It made sense in the Michael Shaden context. Does not make sense here. And it certainly doesn't make sense for him to let the marshal live. Because he's already committed one murder. I mean, the best argument you could make is he only murdered his friend because his friend was making time with his girlfriend. And it's not like his girlfriend was making time with the marshal. Okay, so that doesn't actually make any sense. This pilot had a lot of problems. Now, to their credit, CBS would actually remake the pilot with Howard Culver and a more Western-feeling script. Although they would shelve the series, it kind of reminded me of a special I saw. It was like a Daffy Duck special where the producer advised that they would remake the film that Daffy had before they shelved it. It's sort of like, okay, this is not good enough uh, even for the films we're shelving, so we need to remake it before we shelve it. Now, one other thing I would note, um, I think th that the first time I played this, I did not know a lot about Rye Billsbury. And uh, that's actually because he kind of professionally changed the name he went under to Michael Rye. He had an incredible voice acting career going into the 1990s. Uh, if you grew up, you know, the older Gen X would 
know him from his work in uh, Super Friends as both Green Lantern and Apache Chief. If you were a bit older than that, then you may have known him from the uh, 1966 Lone Ranger animated series. So for the golden age of radio, he was best known as Jack Armstrong, All-American Boy from 1944 to 1946, as well as doing announcing duties on a wide variety of different programs. Whether operating under the name uh, Michael Rye during his later career or Rye Billsbury during the early parts of career, he was a talented guy. He just did not get quite the script he needed to make this take on Gunsmoke work. Alright, so I hope you enjoyed this uh, comparison, and uh, we will hopefully look forward to doing another one of these types of programs come spring. Uh, and a reminder, you can become one of our Patreon supporters at patreon.greatdetectives.net. And now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Lisa, Patreon supporter, since April 2016, currently supporting us at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Lisa. And that will do it for today. We will be back tomorrow with an episode of Sam Spade, where... Keep your hooks off that necklace. That's mine. I heard it's your wife. Come along, well, you right heard Come along over here. Oh, Mr. Spade, you haven't met the bride yet, have you? Uh, no. Thank you. I, uh, I uh, wish you a lot of luck, Mrs. Rushlight. You're gonna need it. Thank you. Well, I suppose now, as well as any time, Colonel. Oh, oh very well, my dear. Uh, quiet, please. Uh. Quiet, everyone. Uh, and Mrs. Rushlight, the old, uh, the elder Mrs. Rushlight, that is, has something to say to you. Mr. Spade. Yes? And the necklace, will you please hand it to me? With pleasure. I'm tired of looking at it. Oh, you're not done yet. Stay close by my side. <coughs> dear friends, at this solemn moment, I want, first of all, to welcome this dear little girl into the Rushlight family. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and now, dear Lotta, I will place around your neck the gem which was my heritage when I became a Rushlight and which is now yours. Thank you. Oh, what's wrong? Lotta, come back here. Lotta! I'll go out to the carport and hit her off. Oh, you leave her alone. I'll take care of her. Whose wife is she, anyhow? Lotta, come back here. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.